bro. <laughs> wow, that was good. It was amazing. Yeah, let's do it again. Rolling. Don't you want to die happy with a smile on your face? Wake up a laughing because you're free of all the things that would hold you from your ocean view. Life is a landscape. Why don't you paint it your way? you a merry christmas we wish you a merry christmas we wish you a merry christmas and a happy new year <laughs> great transition there jingle bells <laughs> that's all i've got to say about that well and it's nice to see you slightly in the festive spirit i'm really trying yeah you starting to feel it a little bit i uh, yeah i am i'm looking forward to some time off Yes, I've, me too. I love talking to you folks. And I love talking to you, my darling, so that these folks might listen to our rumblings. However, I am looking forward to a couple of weeks off the How to Die Happy podcast. Mm-hmm. Although I'll be doing a lot of marketing stuff you know, over the Christmas period. Well, there'll be a little bit of a limit on that. Yeah. Anyway... Not that any of you need to know about any of that. So, welcome to the final episode of season one. Hmm. Can't believe it's over already for a season. What a roller coaster. Well, there are 13 episodes in the How to Die Happy Seasons, which is a baker's dozen. Of course, I mentioned this to you and Chris in the interview we're about to listen to. And nobody knew what an, uh, a baker's dozen was. No, we did not. Are you going to tell me that you've now found out? Well, I already knew what a baker's dozen was, but I didn't know the, the history of the baker's dozen. Yeah. So a baker's dozen, bakers use 13 instead of 12, right? And the tale behind it is apparently a medieval law that specified the weight of bread loaves. So any baker who supplied less to a customer was in for some serious punishment. So they would always include 13 loaves just to be safe. 13 eggs. Loaves. Loaves of bread. Oh, okay. So you would get... No, it's not about um, the ingredients of the baking. No, no, it's about the end product. Oh, okay. Yeah, so a baker's dozen would be 13 loaves of bread. Well, that was some incredibly new facts to learn today. Thank you for that. Consider it an early Christmas gift. <laughs> the gift of knowledge. The invaluable. You're starting the bar high then. <laughs> with a story about 13 lumps of bread. <laughs> well, where can we begin this conversation? We, we have already... Uh, expressed thanks to various people in the chinwag on Tuesday, but I, I believe it's worth doing it all over again. Sure. So uh, we're just super, super grateful to everyone who's amassed around this little chat show podcast thing that we've created that is ever evolving and morphing. And uh, where does that? Where do those thanks begin? I suppose the thanks begin with well, with Chris Syracuse, who originally 
started this journey with me and helped me bring it to life. So thanks again, Chris. Peace and love to you, bro. Uh, followed quickly by Dwayne Forrest, who, of course, lovingly and caringly produced all of the music that we use. And Josh Kimnell, who created the uh, brand identity, the logo work, and uh, gave the once over to all the web, web design work that I'd done and so on and so forth. So these, these were the people who, who helped us begin it. You, of course, my love, you were, you were the rock behind me throughout all of this. And notwithstanding that, you were helping in the back, behind the scenes from the very beginning, organizing and booking guests and so on and so forth. And of course, our guests. Wow, we've had some phenomenal guests join us. Such a, uh, a varied selection of really, really great human beings. Yeah, they've been wonderful. Haven't they? For and we it. need to thank you for getting this out, for doing it, for being the uh, for being the brains behind it, for being the um, the energy. Well, that's really very kind of yeah, you. Well, you do. You deserve the thanks. Well, I think the biggest lump of gratitude goes to you, our listeners, because you know I am fully aware of how difficult it is to find time in the day these days for anything other than the hamster wheel. So we are a million times grateful to you for checking into this podcast, be that once in a while or like some of you, the diehards who are listening to every one of our episodes. Just, I can't find the words to express gratitude for that. So thank you so much for your time and your attention and your support and for your reviews, and for your comments, and the messages you send, and for the Be My Guest questions that you submit. Uh, yeah, just thanks, 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 thanks. Thank you. Please do consider telling 10 of your friends about this podcast. There are enough of you now following us uh, that if you told 10 friends, it would have a profound impact on our following. And as you know, we do this for the love because we want people to, or rather because we want to give people the opportunity to learn about ways to live a happier life. And if you can do that and build in some methodologies for that uh, and, a, and a daily practice, then when your number's up, you could well find yourself dying happy. I'm happy. You are? Are you happy? I'm very happy. Well, it's Christmas get... tomorrow. No, it's Christmas Eve tomorrow. Of course I'm happy. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely happy about the amount of chocolate that we're beginning to amass as a result of this uh, Christmas plan. <laughs> and there's, there's a rumor going around you're going to bake some plant-based cookies. That might happen today. <sighs> Does that mean I get a cookie today? Let's see how it goes. Okay. Well, so... Who is on our last episode of season one, which technically is our Christmas episode? Back by popular demand, we have got Chris Plough. And for the audience members who didn't listen to episode four, who's Chris Plough? Chris Plough is a crypto analyst and coach. He is indeed. And Chris is also... Uh, a futurologist of sorts, I suppose. 
because the nature of, of what people do in the financial markets, they have to have a, a handle on on the social stratosphere as much as as much as the economic. So a good trader is is plugged into socio socioeconomics. So it's safe to say we had rather high and festive hopes for this episode. We did. It didn't exactly turn out that way, did it? No, it didn't. It um it took quite a heavy turn, but I feel you know these things are really important and we have to discuss what's going on in the world, the direction of our future. And um, we can't ignore that. Yeah, so essentially we ended up having a rather dystopian discussion with Chris. Can I say Christopian? <laughs> yeah, I can say Christopian. A, because he's called Chris. B, because it's a Christmas episode. So this was a Christopian discussion. And actually, it's incredibly interesting. Chris's perspective, uh, is, well, it's not just Chris's perspective. What Chris offers up in this episode is an observation and um, prediction for what is down the road for us global citizens in the next five and ten years. And, you know, it's not all great news. And so it's well worth you having a listen and I suppose take it on board and see what you think. As always, uh, we respect everyone's truth on this show, so we're interested to hear your perspective. Chris offers uh, a great deal of information which has been garnered from global organizations such as the World Economic Forum. So none of the things that are discussed in the episode are made up. You do have to dig very deeply to find them. So, yeah, check it out. Listen to to what he's got to say and see whether or not it resonates. I suppose that's all I could invite you to do. Of course, we talk about cryptocurrency. We talk about Bitcoin because Chris is the, the biggest Bitcoin ambassador I know. We talked about the blockchain and we talked about central bank digital currencies. Yeah, it's a really interesting episode. And for someone like myself, I struggle a little bit with some of these um, crypto conversations. And I do have a little bit of crypto, but I'm very just dipping my toe in. And I always find Chris really helpful. And he really explains things in an accessible way. And so I am going to um, apologize because once Chris starts talking in this episode, like I just went silent because I don't really have anything valuable to share so much. And when Chris is speaking he's dropping some real pearls of wisdom. So I was uh, fastly listening to him. You were having a silent night. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's fine. The whole point is that we, we get to hear the wisdom of our guests, so we don't necessarily always need to speak, do we? So regardless of where you are in the world of cryptocurrency, whether or not you are involved at all, this episode is still incredibly valuable and worth listening to because it's not just about crypto, it's about our freedom. And if you're trying to work out what's that got to do with dying happy, well, this is fundamental to happiness, this stuff. And as we allude to in the discussion, the way we live our lives, the societal model in which we exist, the, the standardized fabric of the matrix to which we are all plugged in on some level or other 
intrinsically affects your happiness. So it's a big discussion, this one. It is, but we do also have a little Christmas surprise for you towards the end of the show. We do, so please do listen on because uh, it's a gift from my dad, which is rather lovely. Blessed. Okay, shall we carry on? Yeah, let's listen to our episode with Chris. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas! How do you like my Christmas introduction? <laughs> did not expect that. No, of course you didn't. That's why I did it. What do you think, Chris? You feeling Christmas vibes off the back of that? <laughs> <laughs> off the back of that? Yes. <clears throat> yes, that's it. You've got me now. Boom! <laughs> Finding a voiceover of somebody saying, ho, 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 Merry Christmas is more difficult than you think. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't bother putting these into the machine, but I, I got all of these other voices and they all sounded really, really creepy. Mm. It's like, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. <laughs> You're like, oh, no, you would scare me if you were under my Christmas tree. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you all joining us for our crypto Christmas special of How to Die Happy. Notwithstanding that, it is the last episode of season one. Yeah, it's been a good season. It's been incredible, hasn't it? So this is episode 13, Chris, because we don't believe in following the 12s. We're all about bigging up the 13s. You're all about the occultist symbology today. Exato. What's, um, is a baker's dozen 13 as well? Don't know. I have no <laughs> I think it is. A baker's dozen is 13, not 12. Wow, that's probably why my cakes never work. Probably. I don't know why it's 13, incidentally, so I'm not, I'm not going to go into that in any way, shape or form. Well, Chris, you are back by popular demand. Why? Well, because your episode, uh, the number of which I remember not. It was number four. Number four, thanking you. Wow, is it that long ago? Well, your episode, number four, is still the number one ranking episode on How to Die Happy. Which is an honour, because I've been looking at some of the other people you've been interviewing and the amazing conversations you've been having. Well, that's very kind of you to say. Yeah, I mean, you smashed it. I, 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 don't, I, I can't put my finger on why we've... Uh, got so many people listening to that episode other than the fact that I think and and this is something I was keen to point out to listeners on our chinwag that's also uh, been aired this week that people should listen to you talk regardless of what they know of crypto regardless of whether or not they're currently interested in I I don't want to preach I'm not saying get interested in crypto or else but you have a a very unique perspective on, on crypto because you talk about money and energy right? Yeah, and could I suggest that there are a lot of people who are starting to feel that their freedom is being taken away, and therefore that's what we talked about last time? We did, and you can suggest that, and I think you'd be right to do so. I I think quite a lot of people are suddenly realizing that there are some strange things occurring in the world. Mm -hmm. And we can take actions. Yeah. If we sit back, then it will all get taken. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, here's hoping people do take action because I suppose from our perspective over here, our action is is a different kind of action. We're 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 trying to show people ways in which they can do some work to improve their mental health, physical health, spiritual health. So it's very much at the the beginning in comparison. Whilst what you're talking about is fundamental human rights and uh, the right to free speech. And of course, as we alluded to in the first interview with you, we talked about financial freedom. Yes, we did. We did. And Bitcoin is a fundamental human right and it is it is about free speech much of our like you said many of our human rights and our ability to speak and assemble and all of those things are that some people are trying to take them away and therefore we need to find ways to protect them and to grow into them because what we said on the first podcast was that freedom, there is nothing more important than freedom. So you're doing your bit working internally. And ultimately, that's where true freedom resides. Mm -hmm. You could have every single thing taken away, but they will never be able to take away what's inside. Right? It's man's search for meaning. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we don't, if we can avoid it, we would prefer not to have every single one of our rights and freedoms taken away. But to do that, we can't just sit back and watch what unfolds because the direction of travel is very clear. It's becoming clearer for most people as the days go by. Humanity is reaching a major turning point or the Mm. end of many many different cycles there are some great people out there who talk about it mark moss for example um there are many cycles coming to a head right now debt cycles technology cycles cycles between freedom and control and that's why everything feels extremely volatile and precarious mm. and we're also in the dawn of the age of aquarius aren't we mm-hmm Literally everything is coming to a head um, at the same time. Uh, nobody knows how it's going to play out and over what time frame. Because although it is some sort of end game, you know, does it reach a head tomorrow or in five years? We don't know that. But we, if we become aware of the situation, then we can take action to make sure that we place ourselves in the best possible position to preserve those incredibly important rights and freedoms. And without being melodramatic, it's safe to say some fundamental systems that we've all grown up with are about to come crashing down. So can you be more specific? Well, (laughs) yeah, I could. Uh, The financial system, for example. I think that's a really good one to start. And to get really clear on what's happening. So we know, if you, if you have some level of awareness, that society is crumbling. So there is huge divisiveness across the board. Governments becoming more and more tyrannical. The wealth gap growing and growing. Um, we know that the economy 
is crumbling, so supply chains are breaking, inflation is hitting record highs, and um, unemployment is massive, many small businesses are closing. And there are a lot of people out there, I get sent videos from Facebook, Instagram, people talking about these things who have really, really good intentions. And then they always then move on to financial markets and they say, and the markets are crashing. And this is a really important distinction because when societies and economies do crumble and collapse, financial markets don't collapse. Mm -hmm. They work in opposite directions. And the reason for that is when we're in this state of turmoil, central bankers take the opportunity to print trillions and trillions of units of fiat currency, dollars, pounds, euros, yen. That's what we talked about in the last session. And therefore, <clears throat> during these times of turmoil, stock markets, bond markets, gold, silver, land, um, property, and Bitcoin and crypto, asset prices go through the roof. If you Even if you look at the stock market in Venezuela right now, it's at all-time highs. Stock market in Turkey, all-time highs. The reason for that is the, the, the denominator, what it's priced in, fiat currency. So the lira in Turkey, for example, but it's going across the whole world right now, dollars, pounds, euros. They're being it's being devalued, being debased. The value of every unit of currency is being destroyed. Everything you hold in your bank account is plummeting by 10, 15% per year. We expect that to continue to increase. And therefore the price of financial assets goes up, not down. This is a really important distinction to make because there's a lot of people out there who are in a lot of fear about the whole situation and that's warranted but the the action to take isn't to sell your financial assets to hold fiat currency that's the opposite of what you should be doing you need to be selling your fiat currency to buy assets <laughs> so why, what makes you say that is there uh, is there evidence to show that people are already panic selling so that they can liquidate uh, mistakenly into fiat currency or is that is that a standard reaction to to market volatility it is yeah behavioral dynamics but also just those that don't understand what is happening will make those mistakes in the weimar republic when it collapsed in the 1920s through hyperinflation people saw their financial assets go up loads in a year, like their property or their gold, and they sold it to buy marks, Deutsche marks, German marks. Mm -hmm. In a year's time, those marks were worth nothing and they'd lost their house. Ouch. So, and I suppose it's safe to say, we can always learn from history, despite people's misconception. And I'm saying this because I get sent all sorts of articles and videos that are giving the wrong advice mm. to normal people mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, mostly with good intention but a lack of understanding 
some of it may be a bit malicious, I'm not sure. Um, what you need to be doing in an inflationary environment in an ideal world is earning fiat currency for doing some important job, adding value to the world, and immediately selling that fiat currency for real assets. Now, that's great advice, but should we take a step back and just, and I'm conscious we already discussed this in our last episode, but for people who haven't caught that, because we're, we're, we're gaining new listeners every day, and I'm, as much as I'd love for them to listen to all of our back catalogue, I'm not convinced they will. So what's wrong with fiat currency? <laughs> <laughs> in, in three minutes. <laughs> no, it's simple. Fiat currency is not backed by anything. It's paper money, or nowadays it's just on a screen. It's just digital numbers, which has no intrinsic value. It is only propped up by legislation and governments who make you pay taxes in it. And if you don't, they'll put you in a cage. So it's only propped up by violence. And they create more of it on a whim, with no consent from the people. And they manufacture crises in order to have excuses to print an exponentially larger amount of these units of fiat currencies. And that has happened since 1913. 1914, beginning of World War One, And we're now reaching a stage where that's been going on for 100 plus years. Um, the system is unsustainable. It has been for 108 years because um, every time they print more, it, the, what they're printing is worth less. So they have to do more and more and more. And now over the past 18 months, we've reached a stage where they've printed 40% of all the currency ever created in 18 months. Mm, so, you know, what happens next is that, and that we're, we're speculating a little bit, but we're also looking at what they're telling us and what's in their documentation. By the year 2025 to 2030, depending on uh, how they managed to roll it out. They want to launch central bank digital currencies around the world. The first ones are already launched in China, which China is generally the testing ground for what comes to the West. To get to that stage, let's say that is, is in five years when the US and Europe and the UK launch their central bank digital currencies, they have a really nice window of opportunity to extract as much of the world's wealth as possible. And how they will do that is more manufactured crises over the coming years. And each time they do that, they'll print an exponentially larger amounts of units of currency so maybe the next one will be 10 trillion dollars and 
we already have 15% inflation. Inflation is inflation of the prices of goods and services happens because they print money. It's mm -hmm. really simple. There's a, there's a set-ish, a set number of goods and services. And then when there's another 4 trillion units of dollars chasing those goods and services, the price goes up. It can lag a little bit because when that, when that currency gets printed, firstly, it goes to their friends and the bankers and they get to invest it and buy stuff with it. Eventually, some of it finds its way into the economy and then the prices of goods and services go up. So firstly, they get to buy loads of assets with all this free money. So they get more and more assets. Nobody else gets assets. Um, and then in a short period of time, the prices of the goods and services, particularly the ones that you need to live off of, like food and energy, start going up. So your cost of living goes up dramatically. Therefore, your savings are worth far less and you get poorer and they just bought all the assets. So they're getting richer because the price of assets is going up. This is the cycle that we've been on now for a long time, but most people have been unaware of it. And now it's becoming more and more obvious because it's now so grand. We're talking trillions and we can see how rich a few people are getting and we can see how poor most people are getting. Um, expect that to continue over the coming years. Things will get worse, hopefully before they get better. I'm sure we'll get to that stage. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. So far, I am filled with Christmas cheer. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot to take in, isn't it? Yeah, but um, the truth hurts, right? Yeah. And, um, and what they're doing, so they're extracting the wealth from the vast majority of the people, particularly the middle class as well now, because that's where the remaining wealth is, into the hands of a small group of people. And stepping back, what they're doing is they are running a controlled demolition of the monetary system. So what, what do I mean by that? <clears throat> we know what controlled demolitions look like. There was there was one um, uh, in potentially 9-11, depending on what you believe. Depending on someone's perspective. But, <laughs> I, but would, they, um, I would urge people to do some research on that for sure. So they're very good at controlled demolition and good at getting away with it. Um, now there's a controlled demolition taking place of the monetary system, the fiat monetary system because they, we know that it's unsustainable. The US is in $30 trillion of debt. They know it's unsustainable. We know that they know it's unsustainable. They know that we know that they know it's unsustainable. But what? The, but there's nothing that we can, well, sorry, there is something that we can do about it, and we're gonna talk about solutions later. What they're going to do about it is take advantage of this last window where it's still running to print the currency into oblivion. 
because we've we've explained what happens when they do that. And at that point where it all is about to come crashing down, which is what, what I was talking about before when people put out these videos saying it's all coming crashing down. It's like, no, because they're not incentivized to do that right now. Mm. They're going to be incentivized to do that in about five years when their central bank digital currency is ready to launch. At that point, they can flip over to the new system. And it's the, it's the you know, when we talk about the government creating a problem and then coming with a solution, mm. or the people that sit above the government, this is what they're doing. They've created a problem for 108 years. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse at the point where it's a problem that's going to, you know, blow the whole world apart. They're going to go, oh, we've got a solution. Don't worry, you can trust us and, we're, and we'll look after you in this new solution and new world, which I'm sure we'll talk about next. Tell me your tales of the world. Wow. So to unpack uh, everything you've said there, it plays into to what I was hoping you were going to discuss and that was it's the, the the collapse of systems that we've known for a long long time but of course it's not going to happen overnight is it as you said there, there will be a, a run-up to it the, we are in the run-up to it now and and of course I have no doubt some of our listeners will be perhaps saying conspiracy theory uh, which you know is of course their truth and I respect it but it's also a phrase that was provided to them by the mainstream media 70 years ago and has been repeatedly used for a reason. Um, but at the same time, what, what I love about the way you do this is you just you tell a, a, a story that makes a load of sense. And what I'd love our listeners to do at this juncture is, is just to try and keep your ears open because the people who are being called conspiracy theorists two years ago are now getting phone calls and emails and messages from people saying, okay, I'm sorry. Listening. I'm listening. What else have you got? (laughs) That's actually a conversation I had with my older brother the other day. The point is that the systems, this, the financial system is on the out. And of course, a number of other systems will be ousted at the same time because of, or at least in part, uh, thanks to, the evolution of blockchain. <clears throat> um, I'll just pick up on what you said about conspiracy theories. Um, Go. Much of the vast majority of what I'm talking about comes from documentation from organizations such as United Nations, World Economic Forum. And when I'm talking about what will happen to currency and the numbers around it, that is based around economics, which is math, which is truth, and history, monetary history. I try not to extrapolate and give my opinion as much as possible. Obviously, when we're talking five years out and timelines, you do have to do a little bit, but when I'm talking about 2025, 2026, central bank digital currencies, that's in their documentation. Mm-hmm. That's not me guessing. No, quite. And of course, as you mentioned, the World Economic Forum have, have written a great deal of this in 
a, a lump of documentation referred to as the Great Reset, and they have a website for it. And uh, I, I suspect it's so immensely complicated, and deliberately so, because general members of the public can't actually be bothered to navigate around it. But all of this is in there, isn't it? Yes, and they almost always tell us what they're going to do. And it's just up to us to find the information. It's it, 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 it's part programming. They it, they don't want to surprise people because then they they will be because then they won't be able to control the response. If they drip feed the the data and the information about what their actual plans are, even if their plans are evil or not in the best interests of the people, then actually what you see is that most people just roll over and accept it. Mm. And I and I, I think also if you are continually providing information to people via the mainstream media, and then you change your mind every two minutes, and then you go back two minutes later, and then you change your mind two minutes later, and then six months from now, the message has been twisted and turned that many times that you are genuinely headless confused then who do you turn to to know what to do but the same people who confused you repeatedly in the first place? Mm -hmm. So then you're hooked. Yeah, completely agree. So blockchain. Blockchain. There is one blockchain that preserves your freedom and your rights, your human rights and your rights to free speech. Which one's that, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, please. <laughs> that is the only blockchain that is decentralized. The only uh -huh. blockchain which is fair, transparent, has a clear pre-programmed money supply, money, monetary policy, hasn't had any rights and policies changed since inception, cannot be rigged and manipulated. Um, no founder company can be bought off and cannot be used by those that have the worst intentions for humanity compared to every other blockchain which potentially can go though that that way which is you know the negative way the bad way where, where it could work against humanity so you know the only pure the only one that matters the only the only blockchain that actually means anything is bitcoin i wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> no, me neither. Uh, no, I was. Oh, uh, I wasn't. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, Chris is, if you chopped Chris in half, obviously with a really sharp instrument, you would see like little BTC logos, I think, mm. all the way through him. And, uh, and uh, you, is your blood orange? Bitcoin, Pantone <laughs> orange? <laughs> this, this term blockchain is used by venture capital companies, by traditional finance, by governments, by World Economic Forum to leverage the brand of Bitcoin for their own agendas mm -hmm. because Bitcoin was the original blockchain. Mm -hmm. And they then set up all these weird and... I was going to say wonderful, not really. All these weird blockchains with certain use cases with certain rights and that are almost always very very centralized i.e 
projects, people can decide what happens on there and change stuff all the time. And, um, and, and then they sell all of this stuff in the blockchain world, in the crypto world, as good, as decentralized, as better than the current systems. But ultimately, when you really boil it down and you be objective, much of what is out there, if not all of what is out there other than Bitcoin is replicating the existing systems. What would you say to the people who believe that Bitcoin is also a, a false flag operation designed to trick the mm -hmm. great unwashed? Yeah, that message is coming out a lot at the moment. Mm -hmm. And that is being filtered into social media and the mainstream media by people who understand that Bitcoin is the only threat to the Great Reset. Mm. So they're trying to, they're trying to, um, again, they're trying to deceive the population. If the CIA or the powers that be developed Bitcoin and gave it to the world, then they did an awful job because what they <laughs> delivered to the world was the best, hardest, soundest, fairest monetary system ever created. Mm. and they have delivered something to the world which is a threat to all of their agendas and what they're trying to achieve. And what I mean by that is they didn't deliver it to the world. Yeah, It was created by somebody that we will never know that they exist, a most likely a anarchist hacker who understood where the world was going, all of the things that I just talked about, he got it 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And he realized that the only way for Bitcoin to be a threat to the current system and to be that potential lifeboat so that we all don't sink was to do it anonymously and to disappear off the face of the earth. Most likely, Satoshi Nakamoto is either dead or incapacitated. Mm. And we will never know who it is. And we shouldn't want to know who it is because it's actually the, as well as the, as well as the codes, the white paper being perfect money, the fact that <clears throat> he disappeared so early on is the magic ingredient mm. Without and of that, it... if that hadn't have happened then bitcoin would be under threat from that person being arrested corrupted and that is the problem with all of these other blockchains because we know that power corrupts absolutely and this is why everything else whether you, ethereum solana cardano all of them they are all they are either started in a fraudulent, corrupt manner, they're in the process of going through that, or they will go through that in the very near future as they get to a big enough scale where <clears throat> governments, powers that be, people that are very influential who have ulterior motives weave their way into the situation and manipulate it for their own good.
Mm. And of course, Satoshi could be a man, could be a woman, could also be a collective, right? We know it's a man. Ah, okay. The, there's um, forensic analysis of all of his work and posts. Um, it, it mentioned, the, the, I can't remember exactly how we know it's a man, but we do know it's mm. a man. It's one mm. of the very few things that we know. Um, you can imagine all of the best internet forensic analysis hackers trying to, trying to figure out mm. who this is. 12 years down the line, nobody has even got close. There is no trail left. That shows you how amazing of a hacker, anarchist, coder Satoshi was. He had all of this foresight. And... What we're left with now, 12 years down the line, is Bitcoin being fully fair, transparent, decentralized and incorruptible. Yeah, well, hopefully for anyone listening who still didn't quite get it, you are at least now more intrigued than you were before you started listening. And so thanks for, for adding to that. I suppose you lead nicely on to the question on the lips of many a Bitcoin holder and indeed crypto enthusiasts, and that is, what the flip happened to the forecasted meteoric bull run streak? Good question. So taking a step back, up until, up until a month or so ago, we've seen Bitcoin operate in pretty symmetrical four-year cycles. And that is every four years we have the halving. The halving is when the supply of new Bitcoin coming onto the market cuts in half. And when there's a certain amount of demand and supply cuts in half, then price goes up, supply and demand. So every four years we get this supply shock in the market. The last one happened in May 2020, four years before that, four years before that. Both previous times after the halving, the price went up a lot and then culminated in a parabolic blow-off top about a year or a bit later after the halving. So that happened in uh, 2013 and 2017. We had the halving in May 2020. And I that was when I really started teaching, coaching and... Um, speculating on what might happen to Bitcoin in the future. And I, my thesis was that the Bitcoin price will go up loads after the halving because of the supply shock. That was in May 2020. The price was at $8,000. Now, from May 2020 to April 2021, the price went from $8,000 to $64,000. So big tick. I, I was right. Went up five times or so after the halving. Well done, you. April 2021, we had the, what we call the mid-cycle shakeout. And that is in both previous cycles, we had a you know, middle of the middle of the cycle the price went down loads. So in 2013, it went down 75%. In 2017, it went down 40%. 2018, 
and in 2021 it went down 54%. So that was an average of the two and absolutely what we expected. I was saying that there's going to be a lot of volatility and a mid-cycle shakeout, so another tick. From the bottom of there, we had a nice run. So we went down to about 28,000. And then we had a nice run from the bottom, 28,000 to 69,000, which was in November. That was what we expected. At the bottom of the mid-cycle shakeout, we'd have a nice run up. Um, so another tick. And then what we expected because it's what happened in the previous two cycles, is when we reached that sort of level, you know, when we'd had a nice increase, which we did to 69,000, we were calling that liftoff, because in the previous two cycles, the price then went, what we could say, parabolic or vertical. In 2013, 2017, it went at many, many multiples over one to two months. And that was the stage we were at sort of, mid-November, end of November-ish. And what we've seen since then <clears throat> is that that hasn't taken place this time. And we've seen the price go from 69,000 back to about just under 50,000 where we are now. <clears throat> so that's the first, you know, L that we've taken in terms of our predictions. And so the question is, what happened? Should we be concerned? Well, we'll cover what happened first. What we believe is the main reason for it is a lot of selling that wouldn't be expected from China. So China banned Bitcoin uh, last summer. No, this, this summer, summer of 2021. Um, but they they gave a a time frame of the end of the year for their exchanges uh, to stop offering Bitcoin investments to Chinese residents. And therefore, what we've seen over the past few months particularly is that a lot of selling on Chinese exchanges of Bitcoin. And that was unexpected because it's a you know external event which we can't account for if we're you know forecasting a year in advance um but also in summer we kind of thought it had all happened and we didn't i didn't think and most people didn't think that there'd be all this selling throughout the rest of the year and looking back that's what we've seen so we've seen a lot of selling pressure from china um, that's the main reason. There are a couple of other reasons, which I don't think we need to get into. Uh, a bit mm -hmm. of fear across the financial markets uh, generally. And, uh, you know, I know I said that in times of um, uncertainty, then financial markets go through the roof, and they do. But within that, there are periods of extreme volatility. So over the past month or so, all financial markets, stock markets, um have been um they've been nervous so stock markets have been going down a bit that impacts bitcoin so but all of that is short term even the selling from china is short term 
Bitcoin is long term. Bitcoin's been around for 12 years, but it's going to be around for another hundred, thousand, many, many years. We don't know, right? <laughs> but gold, of which Bitcoin is a better version, has been around since we discovered it. It's been a store of value since we discovered it. And Bitcoin is the best money that we've ever discovered. It's 12 years into its journey. It's not going to stop working suddenly after 12 years because it's designed perfectly and perfectly flawlessly. And as the world becomes more uncertain and as they print more and more units of currency, Bitcoin becomes more important because the fact that there is only 21 million of them, which we covered in the first podcast, mm -hmm. that will never change. And the more people realize that, the more they will buy. Now, there's been selling from China, right? What have we seen on the flip side? We've seen a lot of buying in the West, in the US, in the UK, Europe. So you're seeing a rotation of long-term Bitcoin holders from the East to the West. If you live in a state like China, it is very, very hard to go against the government. So of course there will be Chinese people who are storing their Bitcoin in hard wallets under the bed, you know, but you're putting yourself in danger if you do that. So it's quite understandable that there's been a lot of selling coming out of China. In the West, we don't quite have that level of government control and tyranny. Now we have a Yet. lot of it. We have a lot of it, but they're not at a stage yet where they're trying to control which financial assets we own. I do expect that that will come at some point in the future. But by that point, Bitcoin's already a $1 trillion asset. By the time that they try and do that in five years, it truly will be too late. Right now is the perfect opportunity for people to buy very, very cheap Bitcoin to protect themselves from the future and the central bank digital currencies, which we'll come to. We know for sure that Bitcoin continues to appreciate in value versus fiat currency. We try our best to predict what will happen in the short and medium term. And like I said, we, we've had a lot of ticks and sometimes there'll be some uh, L's as well or crosses. And that's fine. We can't, at this point, we, can't, we don't know if there's going to be a parabolic blow off top anymore because things have stopped looking how we expect them to look. But what we do know is that there's only 21 million Bitcoin. And for the past 12 years, the price has gone from one cent to $69,000 and now at $50,000. Anybody that has accumulated Bitcoin over the years has become a lot wealthier and therefore a lot freer. And that hasn't changed. In fact, you know, if you were looking to buy Bitcoin, we haven't had a massive increase in the price. You've had a result. So I suppose your advice to anyone currently in Bitcoin or even thinking about it is still buy buy while it's low 
and keep hodling. Yeah, any you you certainly shouldn't be selling your Bitcoin <laughs> because what are you buying with it? Are you going to mm. buy dollars and pounds and euros? That seems like a terrible thing to buy. You're buying something that's losing 15% per year. Um, you, of course, you could buy gold, silver, land, stocks, but Bitcoin has been going up at an average of 197% per year. And all of these other things have been appreciating at 20%. That's why in, in, in Bitcoin we say TINA, T-I-N-A, there is no alternative. Because mm -hmm. when inflation is 15% and these other assets are making 20%, you're not really moving forwards. Bitcoin has been appreciating at 197% per year, even if that decreases a little bit and appreciates at 100% per year you become a lot wealthier very, very quickly. All you need to do is huddle. Anybody that's huddled for four years, anyone that's huddled for eight years has become financially free. And now is a great time, and there really isn't a bad time to dollar cost average. That means buying Bitcoin on a regular basis. If you have an income, then figuring out what percentage of that you need for your day-to-day -day expenses and any upcoming costs, but not holding anything in fiat currency that you don't have to because you know it's going to lose 15% per year. So seeing your fiat currency as an investment, are you going to invest in dollars knowing that it's losing 15% per year? No, that obviously that would be a terrible investment. Therefore, anything that you don't need in fiat currency, getting into assets. And as I explained, there are many assets, but for me, there is no alternative and that is, that is Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I still continue to agree with you. I, I saw, I, obviously you have a, a community of people that you communicate with on Telegram and you share videos on a regular basis and the, the Bitcoin playbook. I saw plenty of people having a meltdown and saying, Chris, what's happening? What's happening? And, you know, I do, I feel for you when I see this happening, by the way, brother, because, uh, you know, because <laughs> I always see you saying the same thing. <laughs> Breathe, <laughs> calm down, <laughs> switch off the news. <laughs> <laughs> forget the FUD and please just remember the long-term plan here, right? And that is to buy low and hodl. Simple and, as that. And accept and embrace the volatility. When, yeah. the Ve when the Weimar Republic was collapsing due to hyperinflation, at that point you would have wanted gold. Bitcoin didn't exist in the 1920s. And the gold price appreciated from one mark per ounce to a trillion marks per ounce. But that journey was very volatile. It didn't go up in a straight line. Gold, no. The gold price was going up or down 30, 40% per month. And notice I said or down. Within that, there are big decreases as well as increases. And Bitcoin is a lot more volatile than gold because it is on the front line taking on the financial system and there's only 21 million of them. It's absolutely scarce. It's more scarce than gold. And as the, you say, if it's taking on the financial system, it, it, just everyone, give it. take a moment to think about that. There's a currency 
currently available that's taking on the financial system. That's the, the building blocks of uh, what some people call civilization. I, I don't tend to think of the situation we're currently in as civilized personally. But so with that in mind, it stands to reason that all of the things you've you've said, and if and if people are to to take on board what you're talking about on a larger scale here, then it stands to reason that Bitcoin will come under assault on a regular basis for a great, well, a much longer time than where we're at now. Yeah, and you just described how it's happening because you asked if Bitcoin was a plant from the CIA or the powers that be. You know, this is an assault. This is media propaganda, just like the climate change narrative in summer, um, which was all propaganda, just like all of the headlines that come out of government saying they're looking at legislating or banning Bitcoin. Yes, this it's going to get extremely, extremely. Bitcoin is on the front line of this of this war for our rights and freedoms, and war is volatile. Now, Bitcoin mm. is um, Bitcoin is coming from the light, and it prom and and it it is trying to do this in a peaceful way. I.e. It's a fair, transparent monetary system that is available to everybody. Everybody can and should buy Bitcoin, whether they're a good person or bad person. <laughs> that is the beauty of it. But it will, if they try and fight, then it will fight back in its own way because mm. it will take away all of their power over yeah. the long term. It will, you know, it will work its way in to all of these dark places. It, for example, there are politician senators in the US that are buying Bitcoin. And we know perhaps, you know, that area is full of darkness and Bitcoin is working its way in there. I, um, I imagine there's a few of your listeners who like the plant medicine and ayahuasca as well. And a shaman once said to me that the ayahuasca vine was infiltrating the systems and the world and bringing that mm. light and medicine. And that's exactly what Bitcoin is doing. So it's like the light that's coming through the cracks. Yeah. And it will take away the power that's currently within these systems because there's only 21 million and it's fair and it's sound. And if you can't stop it, and you, you can't stop it, then what do you do? You start you start buying it, at least to to hedge yourself. Even if you're a you know, bad person in, in, in inverted commas, um, you're going to buy it to hedge. I.e., Bitcoin could, in, and this is them. This is them thinking things through. What if Bitcoin does achieve all of its goals and, and take down our current systems? Oh, well, I better have a bit, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, and well, that's a fair assumption. And you're seeing that at the moment. We know that George Soros recently bought Bitcoin. Hmm. So Bitcoin is winning, has been winning for 12 years, will continue to win. Um, and um, if you just buy it and switch off from news then 
you've got no problem. If you want to watch the news and read the headlines, that's fine. But just know that Bitcoin wins in the long run and you may see your the value of your Bitcoin versus the dollar go down 50% in a month. But when it's going up 197% per year, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like newsflash. I suppose my the thing I would add to that is my only advice to anyone who's listening to this who's, who's not currently involved in crypto would be don't listen to the mainstream media. Don't do what the BBC or Sky or CNN tell you to do. Um, you've got to dig deeper. And there are sorry, there's a pile of, of other newspapers there that I couldn't be bothered to list. But you've you've got to dig deeper. You've got to you've got to really do your own research on this. And also, you fundamentally got to ask yourself, because I'm sure if some of you are, well, why would this media company um, say bad things about Bitcoin? Why would that media company say bad things? Why would this politician be anti it? Well, the sad fact is that they're all interrelated. And uh, when you dig deep enough, and actually in some cases you don't have to dig that deep to discover that politicians are non-exec directors of certain companies and they're all, they're all, inter, they're all interlinked and involved with one another. So there's, a, there's an entire system here that really doesn't want Bitcoin to do what it does. Moreover, it really doesn't want you to hold Bitcoin. And that's the fundamental point. So I'm not interested in preaching to anybody. I never have been, as I've said on every other episode of this show. I respect your truth. I have a truth. My truth is I used to think the same way. I didn't understand crypto at all. I thought it was all nonsense. And I trusted my government and I trusted my uh, medical system and I trusted the banks and now I don't trust any of those organizations. And uh, all I would say is do your own research. Or listen to the mainstream media and then just do the opposite. Or do that. Um, but I hope not, because wh- wh- where are we at now? 2% take up on, on Bitcoin at the moment. Is that right? 3.7%. Right, okay. Which so that's is, gone up. Yeah, it's definitely gone up over the past year. Um, I made sure I got the latest numbers. And 3.7% global adoption is around the internet in 1998. (laughs) Great comparison. Because, of course, everyone thought that wasn't going to last as well, didn't they? Well, there would have been a range of opinions. Some people saying it was a fad. Some people saying it was a a trap. (laughs) And some people saying that technology is exponential. And it has network effects and the more people that use it, the more secure and valuable it becomes. And therefore, what's most likely to happen is all media, telecoms, communications is going to get eaten up by the Internet. And if you would have had that foresight, you would have been right and you would have made sure that you saved your currency in technology stocks. Mm -hmm. and you would have been financially free now. So Bitcoin in 2021, 3.7% global adoption. You ask yourself, is Bitcoin going to continue on the adoption curve that it's on, which is very much aligned with the internet? They're essentially following the same path. And for that to happen, you're asking yourself, are more 
normal retail investors going to realize that their currency is being destroyed? Are they going to see the price of the food and energy going up and realize that they need to save um, in better money, better than fiat? Are people who already own Bitcoin going to realize that their real estate, their stock portfolios, their bond portfolios are going to underperform Bitcoin and start to move more of their wealth and assets into Bitcoin? Are more companies going to realize that the dollars that they're holding on their balance sheet are a melting ice cube? Like Michael Saylor at MicroStrategy, who initially bought $250 million of Bitcoin and now he has $7 billion worth of Bitcoin. And there are more companies such as Tesla and Square who hold Bitcoin. And are more countries such as El Salvador going to realize that using the US dollar, which is what a lot of these Central American, South American countries use, is the reason why they can't get out of their predicament, which is that they're extremely poor and they're struggling to find prosperity and, uh, and build infrastructure. And their people are struggling to save money because the currency is being destroyed. And in El Salvador in particular, and many of these other countries, a big portion of their GDP is remittances. And that means that a member of the family, usually the guy, goes to somewhere like the US, works and then sends back his paycheck for his family to live. And um, that was ha around half of El Salvador's GDP. But these people which were doing this, what they were what they had to do to send their dollars back to El Salvador was use a payment intermediary, mostly Western Union. And Western Union were taking 40 to 50% in fees Ouch. because they're vultures. Wowzers. And imagine if you've got $100 to send back and $40 is being skimmed off the top every mm. time. And this is why El Salvador has, uh, has, uh, announced, uh, has, has launched Bitcoin as legal tender in the country written into law so that their people can choose if they wish to save in Bitcoin and so that they can send their remittances through the Bitcoin network with no vulture sat in the middle taking fees from them. They can do it seamlessly and not losing any anything in fees. So the GDP of El Salvador looks like it's going to increase by about 20% next year just because awesome. they... Um, they've gone with Bitcoin as legal tender. Imagine how many Central and South American countries are watching. We know that they are. There are many politicians and senators in these countries that are turning on laser eyes, i.e. They're, they're thinking about Bitcoin. Mm. Um, so a, a, a more countries going to realise this. So we all ask ourselves that question. If the answer is a yes then it seems like Bitcoin is a good place for your savings. And if the answer is no, that's fine. You know, that's, you know, that's maybe in 1998, you said the internet wasn't going to catch on. Um, but what would be important is still to get out of fiat currency because your fiat currency is going to zero. So if it's not Bitcoin, figure out where you're going to save. Historically, gold and silver has been a good option because gold and silver is relatively scarce. 
and then your other options really are stocks and, and land and real estate, but making sure that you're avoiding that fiat currency. Yeah, solid advice all around. And uh, of course, El Salvador also came under fire, as you would expect, <laughs> as part of this fear, uncertainty and doubt. And, and they... Actually, they, I love the, I follow the president of El Salvador on Instagram and he doesn't mess around. He doesn't pull any punches. Um, but of course, there was a load of uh, FUD this, earlier this year about the um, gratuitous costs to the environment of cryptocurrency. And I, no point in debating that presently, although we can do at, at, at some point in the future. But his comeback was immediate, and that was, well, that's no issue to us because all of our data mining centers are going to be powered by volcanoes. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, you got no comeback for that, have you? <laughs> uh, uh, oh, okay then. Yeah. Pipe down. We are doing Bitcoin. Um, thanks for that, Chris. You, you as, as always, you shared a lot and, and really nicely... Uh, calmly and, and collectively. So hopefully people are taking it on board. I think primarily all people need to do at this stage, well, I, this is all, all I'm inviting to people to do at this stage is, is just to, if you've got to the point where, as Chris alluded at the beginning of this session, perhaps you actually trust your government a lot less than you did two years ago and you trust the media a lot less than you did two years ago. And you're starting to do the maths on um, inflation and you're starting to realize your money's actually worth 15% less than, than it should be. Then perhaps it's time to start to do some research. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to her. Don't listen to anybody else. Go off and do your research, you know, because it's all out there to find. Okay. As you remember, Chris, we have a little segment on the show which is called Be My Guest. Do you remember that? Did we do that last time? I think we did, didn't we? We might have done. Yeah, we did. Anyway, for those of you that have never heard an episode of How to Die Happy before, it's really simple. We invite listeners to get in touch if they quite fancy asking a question to the guest. So here we go. Be my guest Let's talk, my friend Let's talk, my friend. This is not the end. You are free. Okay, we've got two questions from the same chap. First question. Hi, so my first question really is about whether crypto in general can be trusted. Um, we hear all the time now that um, we need to trust our banking institutions and that crypto is uh, in somehow unreliable or a Ponzi scheme um, set up to just, you know, take fleece us of our hard-earned cash. Um, so that would, be, that would be my first question. Can we really trust Bitcoin? Can we really trust cryptocurrency? You've already, I, in my opinion, answered that, but what have you got for him? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. And there's a, there's, a, there's a phrase in Bitcoin called don't trust verify. And what that means is you shouldn't trust anything or anyone um, apart from yourself, maybe your loved ones. And particularly Bitcoin, crypto, financial system, don't trust any of it. No, absolutely. So what, you know, that might be surprising. What do I mean by that? Does that mean don't buy Bitcoin? Well, the, the, you don't need to trust Bitcoin because it's pre-programmed money. 
It's very, very simple. It's a ledger of transactions that is verified by a decentralized network. And there's only 21 million Bitcoin. You don't need to trust Bitcoin because it's math and math is truth. Truth is freedom. You can verify that for yourself. You don't need to trust what I'm saying or any opinions. You can go and look at that and it's very, very straightforward. Once you realize what I'm talking about, which may take a little bit of reading, definitely read the Bitcoin Standard. It's a great book. Once you have that base level of understanding and knowledge, you don't need to trust anymore because you understand it and you understand that it cannot ever be anything different to what it is today. And that's a good thing. That's exactly what we need because everything else in the current financial system, including all of these other cryptocurrencies, they change the rules all the time for their own gain. The one asset, the one digital asset that that will never ever happen with is Bitcoin. Nice. And I wonder whether the central banks could say the same thing. Question two. And my second question is about central banking digital assets. Um, and I guess how that fits. Why, 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 is, uh, why would a central bank digital currency be better than what already exists? And um, if I actually have a choice as to, what to where to put my money, and I suppose that's the big question, isn't it? Will we have a choice or is this something that's going to be dictated to us? Um, if I have a choice, would I go with a CBDC or with a cryptocurrency that already exists or perhaps one that doesn't exist at this time? What a great question. Thank you very much for that. Yeah, that's a great question. Now, central bankers have a certain level of control over fiat currency, i.e. they decide how much to print, they decide the interest rates, um, they have some influence over banks that sometimes tell you where, where you can and can't send it to. But they're lacking full control over fiat currency. So particularly cash, we can still do transactions in cash which they can't track and trace. We still have some level of control over who we send it to, even if we do that digitally. So the re... The, the main reason why they want to launch these central bank digital currencies or why they are launching these central bank digital currencies is to take full 100% unanimous control of the monetary system. They've been slowly taking more and more control since we left the gold standard because they couldn't control gold. And they've got a lot of control now. Central bank digital currencies are the final nail in the coffin. So when they do switch over, 2025, 2026, you'll get your central bank digital wallet. So whether that's with the Bank of England, the Federal Reserve, the, the current bank accounts that you have with HSBC or you know um, Bank of America or wherever you are, they will cease to be useful. They will really just disappear over time because you'll be banking directly with the central bank and it will all be done through an app on your phone. 
Now, by this point, we talked about what is likely to happen up until then. Uh, inflation will be rampant. And any current savings that you have will basically be worthless. This is why you need to get out of fiat currency. So when the central bank digital currency goes live, what you will get in there is some form of universal basic income. You'll get a direct deposit from your central bank, whether that's weekly or monthly, we don't know. And a lot of people will think that that's awesome, like they did with their furlough checks or their stimulus checks. But very, very quickly, because you can't create new units of currency without creating inflation, it's simple economics, the free currency that you're getting into your digital wallet will become worth very little over a year or a couple of years, who knows. It will have essentially be enough to buy you your mo most basic rations because that's how inflation works yeah at that point the price of bread and milk is most likely to be something which we can't even imagine at this point hundreds thousands we'll see how it goes and not only that not only will that free money that you're getting not be worth very much but because it's fully digital and fully controlled you will be told where you can and can't spend it what you can and can't spend it on and they're even openly talking about which means they're probably going to do it is that you'll have a certain time frame where you can spend it and if you don't spend it within that time frame it will disappear at this point in this new world this full totalitarian control world that the final piece of the jigsaw is the central bank digital currency if you haven't taken the steps before then over over the next few years to find ways to opt out of that system then you'll be trapped because you won't be able to move out of whatever systems that they have approved and that's most likely the point where you won't be allowed to buy bitcoin at the moment, there's no way they can stop you. But at that point, they will be able to stop you. And that is a really, really bad place to be in. Because <laughs> no shit. <laughs> all of your freedom and rights have been taken away at that point. That is basically man's search for meaning, where Martin, the work you've been doing will be even more important <laughs> at mm. that point, because you'll only have what's left inside yeah well i suppose it'll be man's search for money as well because it'll have suddenly all gone missing after the bank switched it off yeah and with you know this is very much the path that china is on uh you know we add it, let's not get into the detail but it'd be very much linked to social credit scoring as well everything will be tracked and traced and, and surveilled um we have a window of opportunity Every single person has a window of opportunity to opt out of that system. We can do that in many ways, not just the money. You can start using um, decentralized or non-mainstream technology 
you know, for example, using Telegram rather than WhatsApp or using Odyssey rather than YouTube. Um, you can start growing your own food, living off the lands, start finding your own energy sources, water sources. And I suggest everybody starts thinking about all of those things. Um, but in terms of your, your wealth and your money, the opt-out right now is to hold Bitcoin and to save in Bitcoin. And particularly over the next few years, it's probably going to become more and more important to hold your Bitcoin off of any systems or exchanges, i.e. on a USB or hardware wallet that they can't take off of you. We're not quite at that stage. I don't want to put that to put a fear of, to put panic into everybody. Um, but over the coming years, when we talk about opting out of the new world, which we expect to be in place 2025, 2026, particularly 2030, we know that's the, the, the great reset, then finding ways to operate outside of all of that is the way to go. And Bitcoin is the center of that. Bitcoin is is the only place truly where you can have your rights and freedoms taken away. When you hold a Bitcoin or a fraction of a Bitcoin, you will always hold that percentage of the total supply of 21 million. They can't change that. No one can change that. It will only change if you accumulate more of it, which is great, or if you fall for all the fear and propaganda and you sell and then you're moving in the wrong direction. Thanks for that, Chris. Yeah, it's so great being reminded of these steps that we can actually take. Um, you know, a lot of that sounds pretty heavy stuff, but bleak. actually, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like putting in the bleak midwinter on in the background. <laughs> but it's nice to be reminded of these steps we can take. And I know for myself, I don't have a lot of Bitcoin, but you know, the smaller little bit I have that um, I'm very grateful to you for a lot of this because I very calmly hodled it for some time. And, you know, I can just switch that off and I'm not, I don't worry about it. But it, it's almost given me this slight self-empowerment, which I never would have had before, you know, and if I just had a little bit of fiat currency in the bank not doing anything. Well, I don't think it's slight either, is it? it it's it's ultimate empowerment because mm. as, as Chris has uh, clearly articulated through this episode, there is unequivocal power in this currency. And the only thing that can remove that power is the majority caving into fear due to all the propaganda that they're going to be served. They have been served and will continue to be served for the next few years. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I feel like shouting, Viva la revolution! <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> f- fundamentally, I kind of, you know, there are some, there are certain topics I'm not particularly interested in talking about on this show because I, I, I think there are, there are plenty of great um, minds already talking about certain things that are happening around the world right now. Um, but when we get to, to this point where we're talking about, well, the difference between freedom and, and, and a whole other level of slavery, which as you've said, has already been predicted by the World Economic Forum in, the, in Agenda 2030, um, in the Great Reset, Reset documentation. You know, I can't stay quiet about that. I mean, this is this is next level crazy stuff that's that's going to happen, and it will be a totalitarian tiptoe. It will just creep up, and it's 
If you look at what's happened in the last two years to people's freedom and all of the laws that have been changed right under your noses, and I'm sure many people don't even know. Many people don't even know about the coronavirus bill in the UK. And I'm not interested in talking about the coronavirus bill, but if you actually got make yourself a cup of something hot and read the details of that bill, you, as, as I did, will discover a great many laws in that documentation that, from what I can see, have got broadly nothing to do with the treatment of a virus. Now, this isn't conspiracy theory. Again, this is fact. It's all there to be seen. So, yeah, I, you know, every time I talk to you, Chris, I find I find them... <laughs> Feel, I feel a bit revolutionary. <laughs> yeah, and do you want the full hopium of how this turns out incredibly well? I think it goes without saying, this being a Christmas issue, we could do with some bloody good news. Yes, please. <laughs> so by the year 2030, we'll have two distinct uh, societies. You'll have the people that have chosen to be part of the totalitarian system because it is a choice. And unfortunately, a lot of people are choosing that. And everybody else are the ones that have chosen freedom by taking those steps that we discussed and um, those people will own Bitcoin. The free society will be trading and operating on a Bitcoin standard because we won't want to use their central bank digital currencies. And we know that societies that operate under fair, hard, sound money, i.e. the gold standard in the 1800s or the Roman Empire, who were on a gold and silver standard, they flourish. Mm. And mm. they see incredible achievements across trade, entrepreneurship, art, culture, health, and they progress an incredible rate on a, you know, let's, let's call it a, a, a basis of truth and love and happiness. Of course, Nothing's perfect. Skirmishes and stuff happen and there's still volatility involved. We should never try and take that away from humanity because it's that risk and that volatility that um, that is an inherent part of being human, an inherent part of being in this realm. But what's, you know, at the foundational layer is based on truth and transparency, which is the Bitcoin standard. And we know that that goes really, really well. We know that the other side goes really, really poorly. Any time that communism has been tried, it's gone really, really poorly. So sorry to those people that are going to choose that route. But we know as well that communism always collapses. It's a lot of suffering and then collapse. So when it does collapse, what happens is that the other society based on freedom has flourished and anybody that's still alive or any resources that still exist in the society that has collapsed will essentially just fall under the free society and the Bitcoin standard. It will be absorbed into that society. And when that, f when that cycle has fully taken place, I think we're looking at like 2050, then the world operates under a Bitcoin standard and we are at that point in the new world that we've always dreamed of, which is based on truth and fairness and happiness and freedom. Mm, and love. Yeah. And I, I'm sure for a lot of people it will feel like uh, 
well, of course, what you're talking about sounds utopian uh, of sorts, which is awesome, but it also feels like a long way away. And I, and I suppose the only thing I can say to people is, well, this is a long-term prediction, so you've got a lot of time to do something about it. And, you know, I'm not sure if there's been a time in history where uh, socio-economic systems were going to erode and crumble on the scale of which we've discussed. But people have had the, the information and the time to do something about it. And, and I think that's something that's incredibly unique about where we're at right now. And has there been a time in history when <clears throat> each of your actions is so fundamental to the future of humanity? It's actually very exciting and empowering. Big time. Well, I think one of the many things uh, or opportunities that's presented to us in this day and age is, is to see the power of connection, the true power of, of what uh, consciousness can do when it's, when it's unified, you know, when we actually work together as communities. And actually what you're talking about here in this scenario you presented with a split society is, is one of a social autonomy. Well, on the one hand, there's social autonomy. And lest we forget, you know, sometimes I find myself talking on this show and I, and I say words and then I, I move on. But I actually sometimes just want to stop and think about that for a moment. Social autonomy, self-governing communities. Wow, wouldn't that be nice? Free market capitalism. Mm, I love it when you talk dirty. <laughs> you know they've made the, the C word very toxic. Yeah. But that, what you're saying is social autonomy is free market capital, capitalism. Mm -hmm. It's everybody yeah. can do whatever they want as long as they don't hurt anybody. Mm. And um, they're able to direct capital to where they think is the most important projects, businesses, mm. trade. Mm -hmm. And that's always in the past. The, the only way that that's possible is on a fair, hard, sound money basis. So it can only happen when we're using gold and silver or Bitcoin. And every, like I said, every time it's happened in the past, it's been the best parts and times of, of civilization. I, I'm going to venture to far as, uh, so far as to say that uh, there is going to be absolute chaos at some point seriously you're going to be wondering what the hell is happening on the planet there'll, there'll likely be blood on the streets we're, because well, we're in it it's happening well that's true although i i suspect this is just one of the one of the nine rings of hell and we've more to <laughs> we've we've deeper to dive but yeah lest we forget absolutely it's already happening there is chaos but then of course a great deal of it is not being televised uh, as gil scott heron rightly predicted well, uh, you always leave me wanting to talk to you for another two hours on this mm -hmm. show, Chris. Um, but I'm not convinced we can do so. What I was trying to, <laughs> what I was trying to do while we were, while you were talking a few minutes ago, was I was trying to work out how on earth do I ham-fistedly segue uh, a poem that my dad's recorded for the podcast uh, as a gift into. <laughs> The How to Die Happy Crypto Christmas episode, because we've, uh, I think we've, we've smashed it open tonight, haven't we? We smashed it open like a Brazil it's nut. It's been a big one. Yeah. Well, 
I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just pause for a moment and let me explain. My dad is 79. He was 79 in September. And I've talked a lot on this show about my life story and about um, my healing journey. You know, the things that kind of, uh, the things that have helped me get through a lengthy, lengthy phase of depression and uh, suicide and alcoholism and addiction and so on and so forth. And you know, hallelujah, here I am, 46, reborn uh, and got a lot of new things going on. And, you know, doing this podcast, for example. But the old fella, bless his little cottons. I, I've never mentioned my dad, Mike. Um, and I, I suppose my mum probably got more of the mention because of her alcoholism. So it, when I was a, a kid, my dad used to read this poem to us at Christmas. And so he's, he's, he's kindly recorded it. Now, you'll have to forgive me for adding a few little extras to the recording, but I'd just like to play it for you all. was the night before Christmas, when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, in hope that St Nicholas soon would be there. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap when out on the lawn there arose such a clatter I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter away to the window I flew like a flash tore open the shutters and threw up the sash the moon on the breast of the new fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects below when what to my wondering eyes should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer with a little old driver, so lively and quick. I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his courses they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now, Dasher, now, Dunser, now, Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. To the top of the porch, to the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away all as dry leaves that before the wild hurricanes fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky, so up to the housetops the courses they flew, with a sleigh full of toys, and St Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof, as I drew in my hand and was turning around, down the chimney St Nicholas came with a bound. He was dressed all in fur, from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. A bundle of toys he had slung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his pack. His eyes, how they twinkled, his dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses, his nose like a cherry. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard on his chin was as white as the snow. 
The stump of a pipe he held tight in his teeth, and the smoke, it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. But I heard him exclaim as he drove out of sight, Happy Christmas to all and to all a good night. Ah, thanks, Pops. <laughs> that was really sweet. Did you enjoy that? Yeah. Thanks for indulging me there with that, Chris, but uh, I thought it was important to, to share a little bit of uh, Christmas and festive cheer throughout the seriousness. Yeah. I'm, nice to hear I'm, a crackling fire. Yeah, I'm, I'm fully excited now for the holidays. <laughs> Yay. Yay! Well, the funny thing is, I'm, I'm sitting here in 30 degree heat in Bali. Uh, with blue skies and a volcano in the back garden, and uh, and Jules is, uh, it's safe to say you're a bit of a Christmas nut, aren't you? I'm not a Christmas nut. I just love the first. I do love Christmas. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean when I when I use the word nut, I I mean it positively. I, on the other hand, aren't all that festive. A bit so. of a Christmas Grinch. Okay, I'm a mini Grinch. <laughs> so it, I, and I, and of course, with the environment we're in, it's more difficult because it's not cold outside. We're not wearing jumpers. We're not wearing socks. And there's no. No snow, but when I uh, when I decided to put that that sound bed on with the fire and the wind, suddenly by the time it was over, I was like, "Yeah, okay, right, I might be into the idea of Christmas." Yay! <laughs> it's about spending time with family and loved ones, and not worrying about what's happening in the outside world, at least for one day. Absolutely, and I think also you use the word spending. It's you know, spend your time. Don't worry about spending your stored energy. Uh, that's as we've identified losing 15 percent um <laughs> nobody's really or rather people shouldn't be all that bothered about presence your presence should be the present i know that's a cliche but it's very true well it is and, and i i know from experience in in my days of uh on my heady days of, of mental illness what one of the concerns i always had around this time of year was how am i going to how am i going to pay for it you know um, because I had this long list of, of stuff that people were going to get. And uh, in the end, it doesn't actually, it, none of it matters. So thanks again to my dad for reading Towards the Night Before Christmas. Uh, it's um, a nostalgic poem for me, at least. Um, but also, I think it's just a nice reminder, as Chris said, that uh, Christmas is about family and friends and uh, memories. And none of them need to cost a lot of fiat currency. They just buy more Bitcoin. <laughs> oh well, yeah. If anybody's uh, wondering what to buy me for Christmas, I'm uh, I'm taking Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, what are you doing for Christmas anyway, Chris? You got anything planned? I'm at home with family, but of course you are, and that's the best best place for me right now. 
Yeah. Well, thank you again for your wisdom and your and your time. Uh, I I do so enjoy talking to you, and uh, I hope we can continue these conversations. The wonderful thing about talking to you is th- there will always be something to talk about here uh, as the situation unfolds and as society devolves before it evolves, and. Uh, I, I was when I was listening to you speaking earlier on, projecting um, what may well happen in the future. I was thinking, I wonder how many people at this stage are going to go, "What the hell is that kook talking about?" <laughs> and then in two years' time, people are going to be saying, "Yeah, have you heard this podcast?" I hope people are saying this. <laughs> you heard but nobody will have heard of the podcast because we'll have. No, if you heard of this podcast, this guy was predicting this stuff two years ago. What the? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's really weird. that's the cool thing. So we're going to do a running commentary on the collapse of civilization. I think so. I think we might change your uh, your title on the website. Maybe down as what Bitcoin and and cryptocurrency coach, but perhaps we'll have you down as a societal collapse predictor uh, or something a little bit more catchy. Leave me working with that. Uh, well, thank you again. If anybody wants to check uh, check out Chris, you can find him on the website as usual. That's howtodiehappypodcast.com forward slash on dash the dash show. He's in there twice now. There are two photos of him um, and you can click on the image and you can go to his link tree and there are links to his Bitcoin playlist. I suppose, uh, playlist? Yeah. Playbook. Please join my email list because I have some exciting things coming next year. Not just the 2022 Bitcoin playbook, but lots more. So get on there uh, so I can keep you updated. And happy holidays to everybody. And remember that Bitcoin is freedom. Thanks so much, Chris. It's always great to learn more from you. I do every time. Mm, I'll drink some eggnog to that. (laughs) Non-alcoholic eggnog. Right. Thanks very much, buddy. Take Take care. care. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Bye.